Hey everyone, I'm Luke, and welcome to Exploring Kodawari, a podcast where me and my co-host Yanka have conversations with inspiring people. These are people who have gone down a rabbit hole of some kind, in a craft or a career path, and we want to just hear what they know. For this episode, we are joined by our good friend Kevin. Kevin is one of those people that just gets good at pretty much whatever he puts his mind to. He's amazing at um, jazz saxophone, he roasts and sells coffee from his garage, and he cooks insanely delicious food. But his main endeavor for the past number of years has been craft cocktails, and he's become quite the expert at it. So we picked his brain about how cocktails work, what makes craft cocktails special, what kinds of details go into building a recipe and keeping it consistent, and how do you infuse liquor with things like jalapenos, pineapple, mint, or whatever else in order to get even more unique flavors out of your recipes. And since we're all musicians, we kind of connected the flavor balance from the cocktail world to the balance of musical harmony. We talked about the main notes or flavors in a cocktail that work in harmony to create a delicious drink and and sort of like even more extended harmony like you would hear in jazz and how cocktails can really get creative and not just the main cocktails, but all these subtle variations. Seriously, before I had a fancy cocktail, I had no idea what went into it or how amazing they could be. But it's such the intensity of flavors, it will just make you stop in your tracks and, and you know, you wonder how these flavors can be so intense and, and still achieve a balance. It's both scientific and artistic. I'm tempting myself here to go make a cocktail in the middle of the day, so I'll leave you to the episode. We put lots of links in the episode notes so that you can learn more details and maybe start making delicious drinks at home. Um, there's also a link to a great documentary to show you how this world of specialty cocktails got started. Um, and also don't forget to visit our website at exploringkodawari.blog where you can read our articles, sign up for our newsletter, and even donate to our project to help us keep this thing going. Thanks for listening and enjoy. All right, Exploring Kodawari episode, I'm not sure. Definitely not one because we already recorded one, but Kevin, welcome to this new experiment of a podcast. Should I close this window? I think I should. Yeah, yeah let's close it. But move the margarita oh, first. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been uh, could have been tragic. All right, we're here with Kevin. Um, What's up, y'all? He is our closest um, expert bartender that we could find. We use the term expert loosely. Uh, yeah, very loosely. So uh, I, I just finished watching, well... Almost finished watching the documentary Hey Bartender today. Very cool. Um, I'm going to read a quote from that, but can you just describe like what the hell that documentary is for people? Like basically, I'm more interested in. So the Kodawari vibe is just like this: you're pursuing perfection, you're pursuing like um, the ideal of some kind of endeavor, whether that's music, something in art, something in cooking, winemaking, whatever the hell it is. Um, for people that don't even know there's a whole world of craft cocktails out there, like just describe that documentary and like what, what you do. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that documentary came out in like 2013 or 2014. Um, it follows kind of the, the rebirth of the craft cocktail movement, you know, in the, uh, early two thousands, um, following bars like milk and honey, uh, employees only and various other, uh, cocktail bars, primarily in New York city. And just follows these uh, staff members 
uh, as they go to the uh, Tales of the Cocktail convention in New Orleans, which is like a big yearly uh, awards show and just kind of They trade, said it's the biggest center. thing in the world, right? For cocktails. For cocktails, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, nowadays, um, there's a bunch of other award type uh, situations like the world's 50 best and all that. But um, in, you know, as far as like bartenders coming together and industry people coming together for one event, it's definitely uh, probably the, the largest, uh, largest, you know, coming together. What do you, what do you call it? Fucking of, of, <laughs> uh, I was about to say largest convention, largest yeah. convention of bartenders and other industry professionals uh, in, in that industry for sure. So the quote that, that stood out to me, Again, I did not finish it. So if there's a quote in the last 15 minutes, that's amazing. My apologies. Um, but the quote was, I tell all people that work for me, I don't care what you do, whether you're the busboy, the waiter, the bartender, the cook, I don't care what it is you do. The object is to bring your job to the level of art. And so my first question would be like, for the kind of person who didn't know that there was, you know, a lot of science or what whatever art to the making of mixed drinks like you know is there oh absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um you'd think you know on, on a lot of levels you know a, a vodka soda is a vodka soda or a gin and tonic is a gin and tonic um bud light's a bud light yeah exactly a bud light is a bud light right it, that's but, true but if your bud light's not fresh or it's being kept in a fridge that's like at a at a janky temperature or it's like being exposed to a lot of light then you know you're gonna have a, a bad bud light. even with bud light you <clears> could you could screw it up you could screw it up so to worry about it you could yeah. have a bad bud light yeah. if, if you really tried hard um however you know nothing against bud light i'm more of a miller guy myself but uh, if i were on a desert island i'd crush bud light let's just put it that way what the, what's the uh bud light equivalent in turkey yanka but the F ace oh, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and let me just say, I crush like three or four F ace every time I fly to Turkey, which yeah, has been twice. Water, so, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 water to to decorate your meal. Sorry, go ahead, cocktails. Oh yeah, so uh, art of cocktails. But essentially, every every aspect of it has a way to do it. You know, on an excellent level, where whether it's ice, whether it's uh, just juicing your fruit, uh, whether it's using, you know using every part of all your ingredients so you have a low amount of waste, um, just sourcing the right liquor ingredients, um, even just to down to shaking and stirring correctly, measuring your ingredients at a precise level. Um, there's really no way to ensure consistency unless you have like a codified method of doing this, M much like in, in any industry. Like if you have, uh, if you go to a Starbucks and you order a cappuccino um, and one barista makes it a certain way and then the next one makes it a different way and you have four different cappuccinos if you go in there you're not going to have a very good experience and you're not going to feel confident ordering um ordering that beverage uh so at a bar you you really have to expect a high level of performance from from your staff as well you know but i guess so i'm all down with like the the detail orient oriented part of it like you have to measure exactly three quarters of an ounce of this and two ounces of that. And the shaking technique has to be right. Maybe the size of the ice cubes is just right. I remember at, at one of the places in New York city, we've gone to a lot of times blacktail rest in peace, blacktail rest oh. in peace. They shut down. They were ahead of how many times time. did you go there? Yanka? Like four or five. Probably. I love it. Yeah. Oh really? I didn't realize you guys that went that many times. Also her cousin was visiting. I went like once New a York month for a couple from, years. Uh, Australia. Australia and we brought them there. Yeah. 
nice. we had a, a little, uh, I think we had two cocktails there and they were kind of so confused because they, they, they had never heard of like <laughs> the art of cocktails. For a menu, so were yeah, we received their, the, you know, Blacktail, this place on the, on the southern tip of Manhattan um, with a beautiful view of, of the Statue of Liberty. They have this beautiful book that is their menu and her cousin and her cousin's fiance, um, they were like, we don't know what to do. Do I have to read this whole thing? <laughs> and and so like Blacktail like would would make like category and anyways, my my question was, I get all the details and I remember you telling me how Blacktail like orders their ice from some special company. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a company called 100 Weight Ice that um I can't remember the guy's name, but he's also the owner of a bar called Dutch Kills uh in Long Island City and they have this giant machine called a Kleinbell uh and it essentially produces perfectly clear slabs of ice that then get cut down to, uh, you know, two inch cubes or long, um, you know, long ice cubes that you put in like a, a Tom Collins or something, you know, a nice thin tall glass, or even uh, they make various ice sculptures or just slabs and stuff yeah. for, for various applications. Um, and they just have a full-time crew of people just cutting down blocks of ice all day, you know. And it just like, uh, well, n not necessarily. Um, so the clear thing is mainly visual, but you'll notice there's a certain sound uh, that you get from a regular ice cube. And the sound of a clear ice cube, I'm pretty sure sounds a little different. It sounds cleaner somehow. Well, you um, can see inside of a lot of ice cubes, you see that um, pocket of, of there's a, air. There's always a pocket of dissolved, yeah. uh, not dissolved, but there's a po pocket of air always trapped inside your ice, uh, which is why your ice in your home freezer is going to be uh, always a little bit cloudy. But this machine will make <clears throat> ice that's perfectly clear so that there's no dissolved, uh, there's no gas, gases trapped inside it. You'll be able to see perfectly through that cube to the bottom of your glass. Um, and really, the, again, it's more of an aesthetic thing, um, but the, the idea of having large ice cubes that take up most of the space in a glass actually will help you to retain a uh, cold temperature in your drink for a longer amount of time, which means that they'll taste more similar from the beginning for the first couple of sips to the last couple of sips, you know, right, which right. is a huge thing. Um, you don't want to have- Similar just, to preheating your, your coffee cup so that the temperature is very stable across the life of you drinking your coffee so that you taste it as similar as possible, right? Yeah. Although I'm, I'm like the opposite way on preheating the coffee cup. I never preheat my coffee cup for some reason. I, I like my coffee cooled down. I like to enjoy my coffee at like, I don't know, 100 and 120 degrees Fahrenheit. It's kind of like my ideal temperature. So, I don't like it too much cooler than that. I don't like it too much hotter than that. What I prefer the most with coffee, Jesus, I just remembered I switched Nyanka and I's mic. That's why I was like, <laughs> uh, what I like the most about coffee is to pour it into my, um, what's the, the thermos I have? It's like a... Um, it's the famous thermos that... Uh, Zojirushi? Whatever it is. It's a heat retaining thermos and I let it open to the air for about three to four minutes and then I'll plug it and it stays at the perfect temperature for like the next hour. Yeah. So I'm down with all that. That's like the science stuff, right? But I want to like, for someone who's never um, thought about that, that can be interesting. What's the art part of cocktails? Um, so like, I know the recipes, like yeah, we all yeah, yeah, understand sure, that sure, part sure. of it. So the most, um, you know, a cocktail is only as good as it makes someone feel really, uh, is 
So that that's the whole idea of it. So um, yeah, a vodka soda might make you feel good in just the chemical sense that you know you're getting a, a nice little hit of ethanol to the brain, and you're getting a cold beverage that's a little bit sparkling. Um, but the idea of having a drink that has a story. Um, a drink that is maybe visually presented in the, in a way that's beautiful. Um, something that you, you can enjoy someone watching, uh, you know, watching someone make, um, and it just kind of watching the, the actual process that goes into making it, uh, and being able to taste, you know, uh, a line or a curve of flavors, you know, for, um, in, in different worlds, that you can that come together to form a you know a cohesive beverage where you can actually say huh you know that that actually tastes really nice um, whereas and not even know why just as you could hear a symphony orchestra concert and go huh I was moved by that even though I'm not a music theorist yeah like, and and I would argue that the art um, really starts from the moment that someone sits down at a bar you know it starts from how you greet that person how you put the coaster down in front of them you know. <clears throat> giving them a nice cold glass of water. Um, yeah. I was going to say, the like, menu. Yanka, remember, we, so we've gone to Kevin's where he works enough times because he, where he worked enough <laughs> times. It's coronavirus time, so no one's working anywhere pretty much. Um, but compared to so many other places where you walk in, you might sit down at a bar and 10 minutes go by and no one said anything to you. Yeah, not yeah, even just that. People looks- can just look at look at you awkwardly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little confusing sometimes. You hope that's not the case. One of the <laughs> things you do, though, I noticed, is as soon as people walk in, you make a quick eye contact with them. You go, how are we doing tonight? And you you either tell someone underneath you, like depending your bar who, back. To- depending on who the who the guest is. Some <laughs> some you might greet with, uh, you know, a certain type of joke or something if you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, or definitely. some you might be like pissed off. Like, oh, or some might, here. Oh, yeah. You, you try to avoid that behavior. Um, usually, yeah. usually I try to avoid that. But certain people, they walk in and you already know what they're drinking, you know, and you just get that going for them. Right. They're so regular that like they don't even have to order and you just p- put it in front yeah, of them. Yeah, it's a gla- glass of Chardonnay, ice on the side, no spoon. Because for some reason he doesn't use the spoon. He always picks up the ice cubes with his fingers because <laughs> he doesn't like spoon. A couple times I've walked in and you don't have time to ask me what I want because sometimes I'll be like, give me something in the old-fashioned category or in the daiquiri category mm-hmm. and you'll just give me the leftover of whatever you were making. Like let's say you made two drinks and there was a little more in, in that, that didn't fit into the glasses, you'll just pour out something. Yeah. Um, I uh, never do this, by the way. I never, ever would do this. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's illegal. No, I mean, that's completely preposterous that someone would suggest that I do. So, like, I, I personally get it because I've also, um, over the last month, bought some home bartending stuff. Like, I have now a shaker. I have a strainer. Um, I have a fine mesh strainer. I have a Hawthorne strainer. Um, I bought like the ice tray to make the big two inch square ice cubes for like old fashions. So like I've been slowly, very, very carefully going into the rabbit hole of cocktails. And I've known you long enough to know that there's something really interesting going on there. But um, other than the recipes, is there something artistic about like, let's say you worked at a bar and you didn't design the menu. You're only like the worker there who just your your production yeah your production is is there something artistic at that level because it's like yeah i know as a musician and by the way kevin's a jazz musician um so again we use these words loosely (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i'm a jazz actor being humble (laughs) 
I mean, you know, <laughs> if you're not a jazz musician, then I'm not sure yeah, who is. For sure. Um, but the idea of like when I play something like in music, if I'm playing Bach or whatever, like, yeah, the music's already written. I'm following a recipe of sorts, but obviously there's some, there's a lot of wiggle room. And I've literally heard people ask me like, oh, like, so is, is your job just to like play the notes as you see them? Or is there something else going on? You know yeah, what I mean? Play, play the notes on your written note schedules in the order in which they are <laughs> Right. Written. So it's it's the idea like, oh, is if a margarita is, you know, two ounces of tequila, three ounces of triple sec, and one ounce of lime juice, what is the art in that? So I guess is my question. I would <laughs> say I would say in in just executing, uh, there really shouldn't be you know, you're more of a craftsman than you are an artist at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're making sure that you provide a functional product. I, I would I would argue, uh, in that case, that the art mainly would come from your your service and your you know the the other aspects of it. As far as talking to them, interacting yeah, the, socially the art, while shaking two drinks. Yeah, the and, art yeah. the art has more to do with the social elements and. Um, but you know, still, I've had. I would say even making cl- classic cocktails, some people are like, oh wow, you really you know you. I wasn't expecting you to do that or why'd you do this thing or, or that looks so cool. Or, you know, you, you want to present, you always want to present the cocktail in an artful way. Um, Whether that's, you know, placing an ice, ice cold coupe in front of the customer and then straining directly in front of them. Or that's a type of glass for, for those who don't know, it's like this, it's perfect for daiquiris because what happens is when you have your recipe perfectly measured out, you put this coupe glass in front of them and when you pour it out, it gets perfectly to the top as the, and they mentioned this in this yeah, documentary. Yeah, depending on what, what the coupe you're using, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to you have to use the right coupe. But you, do you remember the moment in that documentary, the guy, I forget who it was, but he was like, the best moment is that moment when you pour the last, the last drop, yeah. drop and you see it make these ripples across the drink and it doesn't quite fall over the edge of the glass, but it's perfectly... Yeah, I th- I think yeah, that's that's true. The probably the most satisfying part about pouring a drink for a guest is that last drop and also the snap. The sound of the snap of the shaker when you're finally done with the drink. You do love that. I could tell you love the that. The snap it, is it, nice. Yeah. It feel it feels really good, especially when you do it really clean, you just give it like, you know, a nice little So you're pouring and then you twist your wrist back the other way and it snaps and you kind of look at them like, "Yeah, bitch, I know what I'm doing." Yeah. You know? You're like, "Oh, I, I I nailed it. I still got it." I've only made, you know, you know what the equivalent of that only is? made 10,000 margaritas in my life. Right, uh, right. But, but this one's this one's the equivalent in the coffee world is where somebody ordered a latte and you pour like a perfect latte art rosetta or whatever it is you're pouring and you just kind of move the glass towards them and look at them and go, that's right. Yeah, I used to get in trouble for that though, too. Uh, I used to fill my cappuccinos too high. And, and it would spill, right? It would, no, it wouldn't spill. It would have the perfect surface tension on top, usually. I mean, you know, we all spill. It yeah, happens. spills happen. It happens. Um, but, you know, if you pour a perfect cappuccino with just, like, beautiful milk texture and the creme is right there and you get a nice little little heart on top or, you know, whatever the design is, and then you get this just tiny peak of surface tension where you have the, um, what is it called? The cohesion of the milk on top just, just forms this little bubble yeah you know and it's just the it's just perfect and then the server comes and picks it up from the bar and it spills everywhere <laughs> you're like god damn 
<laughs> well, so <laughs> they're get... like, you, 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 you filled it up too high. It's like, no, I didn't. It's supposed to be that way. You or maybe you didn't carry it carefully. Yeah, you enough. just got to be more careful. To connect dude. this to the Kodawari vibe and that quote that I opened it up with, the guy who's saying, I don't care if you're a busboy, a waiter, if you're the cook, if you're the barista, whatever you are, like do your job so well that someone could call it an art. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, the Kodawari I, vibe. I had this kid who used to work with me uh, three years ago. His name was... It was Alejandro. Great kid. He's from uh, Venezuela. But he um, he was our polisher. So we were in this craft cocktail bar, and basically all he did was polish the silverware and polish the glassware. And this guy, when he was down there doing that, like every glass would come out so sparkling perfect. And it would come I to the bar. I love that shit. It would come to yeah. the bar, uh, you know, from the, from the dish station, and it would be sparkling clean it wouldn't be too hot because you would let them sit for just long enough that you wouldn't have like a hot glass that you then had to use for a customer so like sure um they're always perfect temperature they were isn't that the mark perfectly. of a, of no a water awful, spots like oh. restaurant when and you, you knew get how to glass. change <laughs> constantly change the water in the dishwasher to make sure that you get the perfect you know clean on your glass every time it was amazing That's missed so i missed this kid tremendously well so one of the things that because <laughs> now i do not have that luxury one of the things that's so beautiful about the Kodawari vibe is that it's attention to detail, right? Yeah. It's it's saying, okay, I have a mission here. And if, if I'm working at a restaurant, that mission is to make the customer's experience as good as possible. Um, maybe your mission is something even better than that if you're like, but like, I mean, you said earlier, like- It's you, creating a story with every, with everything. You know, you have to, there's a, everything has a beginning, middle and end. You know, your cocktail has to- go somewhere it can't just be like a functional i mean it can and you know, the clarity of the glass love, the sparkle of the glass is the beginning yeah, part it's I part love, of the beginning of the story i love functional drinking as much as anybody you know i'll slam down a couple miller high lifes you know a couple shots of irish whiskey uh it's delicious well if you you're know, like but if you're in a wedding right and like <laughs> everyone's like let's do a shot before we we go out to the ceremony that's not the people going let's enjoy but that's the, not the, the fun part of the flavor job. of it yeah obviously the, there there's a functional element to it but i love that you said it's about a story because i i the older i get the more i realize like everything that consciousness interacts with it consciousness makes a story out of things you know music when you hear music as you obviously know like you make a story out of it, right? You make the, the the basic concepts of beginning, middle, end. And when you take a sip of a cocktail, there's that same vibe going on. Like it's kind of fractal, you oh, know what sure. I mean? Yeah, like yeah. each sip has a beginning, middle, end, like the aftertaste and all that. But the life of the cocktail itself of like, as the daiquiri you're drinking, the first sip is going to be insane. My, my favorite part of daiquiris is the first sip. Yeah, It's super cold and it hits you with this like, Ice cold, really intense bracing, bracing acidity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're just the acidity like, is boom. so edgy, but it never gets offensive because it's balanced by the sweetness and balanced by the alcohol. And then you just go, "Oh my god, this is scary!" Like every time Yanko, right? When we have a a, a daiquiri, and I've I've been making a few of them the, over the past um, couple weeks since I got this cocktail equipment. We just shout out to Cocktail Kingdom, great Cocktail company. Kingdom. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll, I'll actually link Cocktail Kingdom. Like for Cocktail anyone that Kingdom. wants to get into home cocktail stuff, eighty bucks is the most you'll have to spend. You can spend half of that if you don't want to get some of the. Oh the no, you, you stuff. can spend a lot. <laughs> you, well, you really can spend get a lot more it. than that too. Yeah, I've spent uh, more more than my fair share of Cocktail Kingdom. Uh, the other amazing thing about their web store right now is they're actually selling apparel um, with logos and branding from various New York City cocktail bars. 
uh, and a lot of the money that you spend on that apparel goes directly to uh, relief funds for the staff of those cocktail bars, which is pretty dope. We should get there too, because because the COVID the, and the whole pandemic thing especially hit bars and restaurants like weird. Extremely, yeah. Um, but yet, yeah, don't we always say when we, when I have a daiquiri, we're just like, this is scary. Like you yeah, can't. I, that happens to me at every sip that I take. Like, I don't know. You, I think you make amazing daiquiris. You obviously, Kevin. Well, that's <laughs> that's when you get back to like. Yanka, Yanka said I make amazing daiquiris. I really do. They, so. They're great. Who, uh, who, taught, who taught you the basics? I mean, I literally I mean, text yeah. Kevin every, every <laughs> time for recipes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's always a way to, to do it even better. Like when you start, you're like, okay, here's a daiquiri. You know, my, the first daiquiri I ever made. Oh God. So I was at a, uh, a waterfront bar, probably just a hop, skip and a jump from where we're currently sitting, uh, actually. And working upstairs, it was probably a hundred, you know, hundred something degrees outside, ridiculous humidity. Um, and I was just, I had just watched this dark documentary, Hey Bartender. And I was like, you know what? Daiquiris, that sounds like, it sounds great. You know, yeah. I want to, I want to have one of those. Um, but at the bar, you know, they didn't use fresh lime juice. You know, if, if you were lucky, you got one, uh, you know, fresh lime muddled into your mojito. If you were really lucky and only during the summer. Oh, <laughs> Side note, th this is one of the things in the craft cocktail world that made it more craft is inst instead of using like um, pre-made lime juice or any of the other ingredients, you were making ingredients fresh. Like yeah. fresh squeezed mm -hmm. lime juice, fresh squeezed lemon juice, like fresh fruit, all, all that stuff was like real ingredients, just like with cooking. If you want to make something yeah. taste good, you use the real ingredient. And, you know, pr back in the day, there was no other choice, right? You just, if you wanted lime, you had to use You had to get a, a fucking lime. lime, right? You had to get a lime. Uh, there, was, <laughs> <laughs> there was no like dehydrated lime powder. There was no stop and shop or like food lion or I'm, I'm trying to be diverse around the country of like yeah, grocery Yeah, Winn-Dixie. Win <laughs> shout out to Publix, fantastic What's grocery store. What's uh, the Turkish grocery store? Tesco in the UK. Migros, yes. There's no Migros <laughs> to get pre-made lime juice. Yeah, no. Um <laughs> But yeah, you had no option at that time. But now there's like, you know, there's a million different options. So so if you go to certain places in uh, where we are right now, if I were to walk to 10 different bars and order a daiquiri in this village. Um, First off, I, it's COVID-19, so you're not getting into the bar. I'm saying even, yeah. even, even pre-COVID, yeah. right? I would... I would not get a daiquiri probably. I, I would I would end up coming home with 10 different drinks or maybe even less than 10 because some would probably refuse to even make it. Um, and and I would ultimately be disappointed. Uh, I might get one or two good ones. Um, From here? Yeah, I might get one or two good ones. Maybe but, there'll uh, be a bartender that you trained. <laughs> or it's just someone I know. I mean, there, we, we, have, we were just talking about our, our buddy Dave. You know, yeah. you get a good daiquiri from Dave. Well, sometimes um, you, you I, I've noticed when we go to bars together, you'll sometimes. Sometimes I have to instruct, but I don't like to do that. Well, I mean, there's two ways to do it. You can either tell a bartender that seems competent a recipe. Be like, hey, I'm really looking for this drink. If you could do it, I'm looking for two ounces of this, three quarters of this, half of this. And then sometimes um, you, you, I noticed you order a drink and then you see what they're doing and you're like, Whoa, 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 I don't want to pay $16 for whatever it is you're about to do. Yeah. Um, mm. That's such a, I, yeah. I, 
And I, I like think I think probably that. the better solution in that like case to is to that. just order a beer. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is what I usually do. Um, <laughs> but there there have definitely been times where I, I, I walk into a bar thinking I can order a daiquiri, like based on what they have, or, or thinking I can order a good gin martini. Uh, and then I see what what's happening, and I just get like sad. But what else, what else <laughs> is missing there? Like, don't you use like a raw egg white or something? No, Am I making that no, 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 not, not in the daiquiri. Okay. That would be okay. in, like if you wanted. Um, what an idiot! Like, no, no, not at all. <laughs> um, but you would want an egg white in like in certain sour drinks. Uh, it's again, more of a texture thing, right? It's, it's a texture thing. It, yeah. it's, I see. It, it makes like, the texture nice and airy. Besides velvety. the. Um, fresh lime juice thing. Like, what else is missing? I'm curious. That doesn't. That oh, oh, not you're just. Good. Well, people would like daiquiri. If you go to a lot of places, they'd be like, "Oh, um, we don't have a blender. Sorry, you know, because they oh, they're right. thinking of like a strawberry daiquiri, like a frozen strawberry daiquiri. They're thinking of how you would make it at home you know, with or, with the pre made blender shit. Yeah, or if you were on a at a beach bar on Fire Island or or something like that, um, and they have like the frozen machines. That, that are constantly going away with uh, with the frozen, you know, sugary mix. Um, so people would think that that's what you're looking for, uh, whereas a daiquiri is just rum, lime, and sugar. You know, it's a, it's, oh, I see. it's super, super simple. But um, so the first daiquiri I ever made, I, I actually got in trouble a little bit. I got, like, yelled at <laughs> because I was, I, like, brought my own, I brought a juice squeezer into work, you know, uh, one of those little elbow juice squeezers, and I had a jigger with me. Um because I just want to describe what a jigger is. For jigger, jigger is just a, a device for measuring um, cocktail ingredients carefully. Uh, there, there's many different styles of them. You've probably seen um, them. They're like two cones that like come in the middle, yeah, and like two, one side is two ounces, the other side is one ounce. And yeah, the most common uh, you'll see is two ounces on one side, one ounce on the other, and then there's like lines for smaller measurements. Um, you know, most, it's a fast way to get perfect measurements that you can't. Yeah, you get. just always fill it. Yeah, fill it right to the line or right to the top. Most uh, professional cocktail bars are using four, you know, two jigger sets. So they have a, a two ounce, one ounce jigger, and then a smaller one for half ounce, three quarter ounce, or quarter ounce measurements. Um, so that way you're con you're always filling it to the top, which is uh, just you, more consistent, you, right? And then so you're flipping. Speed-wise, it's yeah, better. Yeah. You have two jiggers in your left hand. And you're constantly flipping them around and and, and changing the. I remember when I was buying my jigger, you sent a video you're like yeah you could get so he sent me a link of like you can get this one which has like quarter half three quarters one ounce and then like one and a half and two ounce he's like or you can get two and you just got to get good with the technique and you sent me a little video of like your left hand just being like <laughs> like yeah <laughs> and it's fun uh to, to kind of learn that technique but definitely for home bartending the the one one There's shot. no need to have Leopold, like the speed of like you're working at employees the, the regular only regular bell style rush hour works yeah. really really well um but so like I had a jigger and I was, I was juicing the limes and they're like, well, why don't you just muddle the lime wheels? I'm like, well, because you cut these on Tuesday and it's now Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not gonna, you know, it's, it seems Have you ever bad. Seen, like a like let's fruit let's 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 make this better. Can we make this a little better, guys? Like maybe we should be trying. Um, so like I actually somebody was like, well, why don't you just use the sour mix on the soda gun for that? And I was like, dude, because it tastes like lime Gatorade. It doesn't actually tastes like so wine. it's it's you know it's a totally different thing it's Very the confusing. same it's the same energy of um i won't say who but i remember we were making homemade pasta with you this is my father oh, okay yep <laughs> i'll let you say it then <laughs> great great uh so great we dude. were we he's were, dealing with some uh intense back pain right now unfortunately well feel um, better yeah. um we were <laughs> we were making homemade pasta at your house and i remember he came downstairs and said 
what are you idiots doing? You know they make this in a box. <laughs> you know they, they, you can just buy this from the grocery store. You don't have to go through all this effort. Yep. And, you know, yeah, on one level, he makes a good point. Like, if, you're, if your main concern in life is just to, like, get the calories in so you can go back out and drive Uber and, like, you know, make rent, then you sh- probably shouldn't be at home making homemade pasta. Yeah, for sure. But there's something about, like, having the spare time and deciding to yourself... I'm going to not do the minimum, but I'm going to aim at something higher, right? Yeah. And same with like not using fresh lime juice. It's like, yeah, that's faster, definitely. But, but the drink doesn't taste yeah, as good. Yeah, it's not as good. But the, and other, the pasta that we make is amazing. It so is much amazing. better than pa- box pasta. But also I would, I would argue, you know, I'm a, I defend uh, box pasta also. Like I think there's a time and a place, you know, certain, certain pasta recipes work really great with a fresh egg pasta and certain types of, Pasta recipes just work better with a dried yeah. noodle as long as you have a, a proper type of dried pasta. You know, if you sure. certain uh, certain brands you get from the supermarket are not as good as as other ones. But they, even you knowing that I know, yeah, is very you're right. You're right, you're right, right? Like right. Th- there's already a level of engagement with whatever you're doing, and some people don't want to engage as I, much with what they're doing. I would argue the most important thing about pasta is always doneness. And finishing the pasta in the sauce. I don't want it to get too much specifically about pasta, but yeah. like that's, the, that's exactly what I love about it. It's important. It, the Kodawari energy is like. You got to undercook your pasta and finish it in the sauce with the pasta, totally. the starchy I pasta agree. water. I agree. You if you're not doing that, you ain't drinking, you ain't actually eating. And I have so. to say, like I, I. Much like if you're having a daiquiri and you're not double straining the daiquiri, you, you're, you're missing Uh-oh. the point. Do I double strain? Is I the Hawthorne one strainer and the other ever. strainer the fine mesh, the second strainer? Yeah. Okay, I'm double straining. Thank Are God. You? Oh, okay. Well, because you got to get the ice chips out of it. <laughs> I was worried there for a second. You don't want to, I mean, and I will, I will say there are guests I know um, who I love uh, who actually prefer the ice chips. Because they like to chew on them a They like to bit. chew on the ice chips. Oh. And that is fine. If you, that's what you like, go for it, you know? Um, well, like, like I said in the beginning, like the the best drink is the drink that someone enjoys. It is the drink you enjoy. So, so I'm not here to like police what you're drinking at all, uh, unless it's really something. Are there any rules you won't really break? Foul. Uh, so, in other words, if a customer uh, says, "That's a good one." So, uh, one thing that I kind of refuse to do, I don't like. Um, I well, I try to avoid anything with dairy. Like any milk or cream-based drinks, I I generally hate just because they make a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I obviously I don't draw a line there. You know, if you want it, you can have it. But uh, I've had customers who want like um, espresso with Bailey's or something, and sometimes they want it without ice and it like curdles and it's disgusting. And but that's what they want. And like certain things, I just what if they said like, oh, I don't want fresh lime juice. I don't like that flavor. Oh, I- that that. <laughs> You know, if I have if I have roses or or whatever, you know, I'll use that. Uh, roses is traditional in something like a gimlet. Um, so, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, roses lime juice uh, is the plastic bottle of neon green lime juice you see at the. It looks like, like a lime, right? No, 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 no. That's that's just pasteurized lime juice. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but no, roses lime cordial is actually sweetened uh, and clarified, uh, and it's so it has it has sugar, it has lime juice. It has citric acid and it's uh, pasteurized, preserved, and it's in almost like a syrup form, right? So it's it's quite sweet. Yeah. Um, but that is what's added to um, a cocktail. Really, the gimlet is the main one, um, which is just gin at, or vodka in some cases and uh, and the preserved lime juice. 
that's the one time I'll I'll use it. You know? I see. Other than that, I'll, I'll always do. Fruit. The funny thing about cocktails, like getting into cocktails, and I think Yanka, we both share this flavor profile, is um, we we hate like I associate cheap cocktails with like really sweet flavors. Yeah, it just tastes. Now the thing is, when you're making good cocktails, you have a lot of sweetness in there, a lot of sugar in there, either demerara sugar like demerara sugar made into a syrup or simple syrup, which is just white sugar. Yep. And there's quite a lot of sugar in there, but there's a difference Depending between... Beverage, yeah. It doesn't for some reason taste as sweet, like when it's... It's the balance, well, I suppose, yeah. right? Well, sure. because, um, you know, something that's made with a pre-mix is always, is often going to have a higher sugar content to, to like mask the off flavors. Well, so like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking specifically, we're, so we're drinking right now, well, I was drinking... Hmm that has finished um, a margarita <laughs> and um, pop pop filter uh, shielded my microphone nicely there. <laughs> yeah. So this margarita has um, what, what did we say uh, about a table? Each, each one has about a, a teaspoon, teaspoon of yeah. agave nectar and that's pretty sweet. That's got like 30 grams of sugar in it. Now, if, uh, if, no, no, no. Teaspoons, five grams. Oh, so the serving size is a tablespoon, which has 30 grams. Yeah. Okay. Tablespoons, thirty grams. So th this, but it, it, it's it's, it's got sugar in it. Yeah. Now, how would that compare to like the store bought like premix of margarita that that one might get? Oh, I. It would I, probably be way more sugar, it, right? I would I would guess that it would be way more, and it would be likely in uh, in corn syrup form. Uh, but I can't speak to the the specifics. Yeah, I mean, it would depend on the brand and all that. Yeah, I, I, but I couldn't. Say. I, I I remember like from when I was younger all of these cocktail type drinks, I was always a beer guy because I associated with cocktails two things. One, the, soda the taste is going to be too sweet and I quit drinking soda and like sweet iced teas and all that stuff from uh, like a pretty young age, right? Yeah. So like I was not interested in like having a glass of soda with dinner because I'm like, this is like, once you stop drinking really sweet things and I know you used to drink, right? You used to drink totally, soda a lot? Yeah, but always, like, never with sugar. Like, I really enjoy, flavor. I will say, um, I like anything fizzy. Huge fan. Well, so, fizzy, like, fizzy is one thing, so but that's the, an addiction. the sweetness is what I got over. Yeah, and and once, I, once you get over it, your taste buds adjust, and anything too sweet is offensively sweet to yeah. you. Oh, yeah. And so, like, exactly. I associated cocktails as being, like, these overly sweet things, hmm. and, and I just, like, blocked off my alcohol intake to never like if i were ever at a bar even if if I, if I were at a fancy bar i would be the loser that probably gets a beer because i just don't i i i had no knowledge of what to get now of course i would know like if i'm at a really nice bar i could get an old fashioned or a margarita i could get yeah. these categories of drinks that i know but it, well, i guess the point i'm trying to make is the sweetness in a good cocktail is integrated, right? Yeah. Much like salt, saltiness, when you're like just getting food at a restaurant, you know, if it's perfectly seasoned, there's, you something, don't notice there's something perfect about that. Yes. Where, yeah. Where you actually, you're, it's not the salt itself that you're tasting, it's the salt bringing out the other flavors in the, mm -hmm. in the dish. Whereas that's the same thing that, that a sugar syrup does to an old fashioned, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the perfect amount of the sugar syrup and the perfect amount of bitters is going to bring out the base flavors and the base sweetness in that whiskey. Okay, let's talk then. We're all musicians. We all know, um, well, I don't know if, I don't mean all all you listeners are musicians, but all of us here sitting, Yanka's a violinist, I'm a trumpet player, Kevin plays saxophone, and 
since he's a jazz saxophonist, he plays flute and clarinet and whatever else. Yep. Uh, you can get by on a lot of instruments. Um, <laughs> yep. We know that. I would like, call it getting by. Uh, so much of, let's say, you're just playing one note. It's about the balance of sound, right? Yep. And then you're playing in an ensemble. It's about the balance of many sounds. So you might have the roots of a chord, the fifths of a chord, the thirds of a chord. The whole group has low sounds, mid sounds, high sounds, right? Your extensions. And, sure. and if you're in the jazz world, you jazz. have all these extensions of like 7, 11, 13ths. Harmony in general, right? What does it mean to harmonize? It means independent things are coming together and they're getting along. So, for example, if I said, hey, you, let's have um, tuna fish and orange juice for dinner, you'd be like, um, what? That'd be like, well, one, yeah. like even just like imagining the smell of that makes me a little nauseous. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like when I imagine the smell of like the grape vodka that made me throw up when I was in college. Like, <laughs> like it just, it's odd, like that, that it just, it triggers a disgust thing in me where something harmonious means things get along. And I think with great cooking and cocktails fit into this, um, it's all about the harmony. So what are the, what are the main, like, it's okay. In a chorus, it would be bass, tenor, alto, soprano, right? Four yep. voice types. What are the, if, if not four, whatever number they are, what are the, the, the uh, flavor profiles that all balance to create a harmony in a cocktail? Um, so the thing with cocktails is not every cocktail has to hit all of these notes uh, because you, you can know, have you, a string trio because you have or different like a trombone. Yeah, quartet exactly. You whatever, have different yeah. categories of cocktails. You know, an old fashioned, for example, is just going to have booze, sugar, and bitters. That's it. And a little you know, spritz and, of citrus. Water. Well, no, no, not citrus juice. So it's not going to actually have acid. Okay. Really. Just um, the... But, the uh, but it's those those three... What do you call that The um, when you squeeze the peel? The oil. The oil. Or, you know, you're okay. calling it a twist. It, okay. Um, but you're, you know, expressing the oil across the top of the drink. But, uh, I mean, that contributes a touch of acidity, but not, Nothing not like anything Nothing you squeeze like, the middle part of yeah, it. Not yeah, not actually squeezing the fruit. Um, but so, you know, different... Different types of cocktails will uh, contain different flavors, but so the first thing that's going to be in every cocktail is alcohol, right? Theoretically, uh, so alcohol yeah. uh, is the first thing, and so you, you often hear that referred to as heat. Um, so if, if somebody's working on a cocktail and they're figuring out, like, oh, they have to tweak the recipe a little bit, if they say it's it's a little too hot, that means the alcohol content's a little too high. Um, so that's that's one thing. Uh, the next is obviously going to be sweetness. Almost all cocktails will have some degree of sweetness with a few um, exceptions. Obviously, everyone's getting into like health conscious cocktails now. Uh, well, like if you're a keto, right? Yeah. Like, so some yeah. people will do, you know, obviously a, a martini is going to have a very low sugar content, if anything at all, uh, from your, you know, just gin and dry vermouth. Um, and, you know, orange bitters or, or something along those lines. But, um, is that like the Gregorian <laughs> chant of cocktails? It's just like a one drone note and then like some other note dancing on top. I of wouldn't it. even <laughs> say that because gin in itself is so complicated. Uh, sure. and so is so is vermouth. Well, uh, it's all about what, what you zoom into. Like gin is one uh, note, but the then if flavor. you zoom into that one note, you're like, hey, it's actually like one note on a trumpet is not one sound wave. Yeah, it's a whole complex mix of sound thing. waves that come together from the fundamental to form what you hear as a musical pitch. Yeah. yeah. E even just like, I, I was at the, uh, the Beefeater Distillery a couple of years ago and 
and we we did it. That's a famous gin. Um, yeah, Beefeaters, um, the only um, really classic London dry gin that's still produced in London. Um, it's in the Kensington you area. You told I us to go there when me and Yanka were in London. It's amazing. It's such we didn't an make amazing it. place. We didn't make it um, there. <laughs> so they still they they still have the original still from from when James Burrow uh, started the Great distillery guy. back in like the <laughs> mid eighteen hundreds. Um, and it's still, they, they dug it out of storage and they started producing like a limited release gin on it. It's like, ugh, amazing. But, um, in the, in like the tasting room, they had us tasting the gin and you would smell one of the particular botanicals and then you taste a sip of the gin and you can then, you're, it, it trains your palate to be able to pull that flavor out and actually sure. identify it. Um, so, in the so same I way would that actually if argue I, if that since the, a martini is such a simple cocktail, it encourage it makes your palate work harder because you're you're like like tasting more components. Like I think Beefeater has something like eleven or twelve uh, botanicals in it. Um, you know, Tanqueray famously only has like four botanicals. The main thing being juniper, obviously in gin, which gives what gives that piney kind of Christmas tree taste. Um, but there's a lot of different spices, fruits, floral aromas, herbs that 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 all hide behind that that. You know, that's why I love the, the thing. it's like a fractal thing, right? So the idea is like if you're in an orchestra and there's a hundred and you know twelve musicians in the in the orchestra, and I think we were saying this in episode one that you could zoom into the violin section and say, look at these melodic lines. Oh, there are harmony here. There are the the melody here. But you could also zoom into each violinist and say, this oh, yeah. is the mm -hmm. instrument See they're the using. Subtleties. This is um, where they were trained. This is the teacher who trained them. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea of like the, the sum is, the, 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 the total is more than the sum of the parts kind yeah, of idea. But, but it's also beautiful and so interesting to zoom into the parts and say, just at least be able to appreciate, like for example, zooming into the gin and say, oh my God, there are these 12 different ingredients that go into this and and I could actually train my palate to pick out those and yeah. to hear subtle not to hear to taste <laughs> subtle differences between Well, it, depending on how much you drink, you could be hearing the flavors. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you can be seeing them too. You never really know. <laughs> um but yeah, you're, how do you, how do you think right. being a musician has right. affected but hold how on, you hold approach on. We didn't finish the we didn't finish the the core question here, which was the different flavor profiles. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, so, like uh, balancing the first, chords. First yeah. being heat, right, uh, which is your alcohol content. Uh, next fractals, being, I told you, fractals. Next both. being sweetness, <laughs> uh, which, again, most cocktails will have some degree of sweetness, but not all. Um, and that that basically, uh, and then in addition, you have bitters, right? So uh, bitters are commonly these very, very potent um tinctures that, that contain a bunch of herbs, spices, stuff like that. You can that get them in a grocery store. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your most common Angostura bitters will be available in most local grocery stores. Uh, and you're just using a few drops, a few dashes uh, per cocktail. And it kind of acts as your like salt and pepper uh, equivalent. In, totally. And, and like if you want to like taste a bitter, just like put it on your tongue and you'll be like, oh, wow. delicious. Um, they, they're also um, 
commonly used, like people drink bitters and club soda or bitters, bitters and ginger ale to like help them deal with a hangover or, uh, you know, an upset stomach or something like that, uh, because they are originally developed to cure various digestive ailments and that kind of thing. And that's a whole world you can get into. I, I don't even think oh, it's we, we want to go there. We can go there if we do part two. Yeah. Let's make an uh, addendum. Oh, let's plant a flag Campari, there for possibly going Campari, there. But... Which we just had Negronis, right? Um, Campari was actually sold... Uh, in pharmacies during prohibition in these funny little like i think they were triangle shaped bottles um it was basically sold over the counter as like a cough uh cough medicine kind of yeah thing? I, I don't know if it was cough uh ailment or uh, sorry a cough remedy or or a digestive thing Quote, unquote, uh, but it was definitely medicine. sold uh in a medicinal way during prohibition you know much like you'd sell nyquil you know um but so anyway we have uh Alcohol content, you have sweetness, you have bitterness. And Alcohol, those, sweetness, those bitterness. Three, those, three, um, those three by themselves would be what you'd have in an old-fashioned or even like, for example, a martini Manhattan type cocktail, um, right? In addition to that, you have acidity, which is going to come from lemon, uh, lemon juice, lime juice, potentially orange juice, although orange juice has a much lower Sometimes level pineapple. of acidity. Uh, pineapple juice has a little bit of acidity too, uh, but the, if you have pineapple or orange... Uh, usually they're going to be used in, in in concert with lemon or lime to give you, sure. uh, you know, some acidity to balance the sweetness. Uh, not always, but but in a lot That'd of That'd be like having a viola without any violins or something. It's but like, <laughs> it could be that way, yeah. Um, so lemon, lime, uh, a lot of cocktails nowadays are using uh, shrubs, which is like a vinegar-based syrup. Um, so instead of water in your sugar syrup, you're using vinegar, uh, such as an apple cider vinegar or you know, red wine vinegar or something like that. Your syrup, uh, your acidity could also come from yeah. uh, something like that or even a fermented product like a, a tapache or something. Mm. I have a question here. So I'm just curious, is there like a sort of tradition where you don't touch? Like for instance, for like a margarita or like an old fashioned, like you absolutely don't touch the recipe. Like for instance, for classical music, if you're playing Bach, people like have a certain type of interpretation like you can't experiment here you know like mm, it will be or at least some people think that yeah. yeah i would say like is there a certain drink or like a flavor profile that you can't touch it's absolutely not open for any experimentation or whatever i was just that's curious. a funny one um be, the re reason why that's a funny one is because people would argue that yes that is a thing but it's really not because everybody not everybody but there are multiple schools on how to do everything would it be know? fair uh -huh. to say that the arguments are usually over naming rights it's like how dare you call this an old-fashioned you've changed the details so much that call it something else but don't call this an old-fashioned an old-fashioned yeah. is a thing that has a name yeah you know it's something uh -huh. like that it's like uh for music obviously you wouldn't like play bach but not call it bach but like I remember you pointing yeah, out that there are so arguments about interpretation about interpret interpretive things in the violin the world blank, with the partitas right, or whatever, right? Yeah, like for I don't know for Bach, like it's a type of territory where you can't really experiment as much. Like there's just one yeah, idea. Like I was yeah, just well curious. because it's been around for that long, but but at the same time, you know, um, as I've played, I've played Bach on, I've played all the Bach flute partitas, played the Bach, basically the whole Bach mm -hmm. uh, flute repertoire, and. There's so much music that's not on the page there. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, so, at a certain which point, would be the would, same as saying at a certain not point, in the I recipe. Would, yeah, yeah. At a certain point, I would argue that it's unfair to tell somebody that you can't um, experiment with it because 
Bach did not write it down. If he did, if he if he didn't write down this crescendo that you're doing, you know, who's to say mm-hmm. that you have everyone has to do their crescendo? Right. If, yeah. if he did not write down the fact that it, it's ri- it's written ba da da dum bum bum, and you went ba da da ba dum ba da ba ba da, right? Well, ornamentation like, in music, like, yeah. yeah. You don't. You don't have to do that. It doesn't. But every yeah. recording of the Bach for Partita has that exact same ornamentation. It's I'm like, just, you don't have to do that. Yeah, I'm just right? curious if there's like a certain. But yeah, I would argue that where you that just no. can't mess. With there, there is, there is nothing. Is um, there a JS because everything's going to change? Cocktails, even, <laughs> even the martini. Yeah, I mean, you could say Jerry Thomas uh, is kind of that guy. Uh, he JT. He was this like famous bon vivant type cat who wrote uh, wrote a bunch of cocktail recipes, traveled all over the world, uh, did a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, a lot of his, because he wasn't using modern methods and modern tools and modern um, measurements, all his recipes don't make sense uh, to, to your modern palate. He's like palate. three shakes of a lime juice and you're well, like, yeah, what are you shaking out of? Yeah, he'll be like <laughs> one wine glass of of rum, half a wine glass. of, And it's like, what do you mean a That's wine glass? That's how Turkish recipes are. Because, They're like one water glass of this. I'm like, what water glass? <laughs> yeah, because nowadays, you know, you go to a restaurant, a wine glass is 16 ounces. You know, it's a big glass. Yeah. So you're saying, am I filling those Chardonnay glasses to the top for the or, out there, right? Yeah. Am I still filling the wine glass to the top, or like it doesn't? It just doesn't make sense uh, to a modern palate. But also, um, you know, you'll notice that some of these recipes, if you look at them, they're like way too sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do them exactly as written, just the people eat and drink differently well, now. And they change get over years. time, right? Yeah. When I listen to trumpet playing from like the 1960s and 70s, like let's say you listen to old New York Phil recordings, that type of trumpet playing is just not in now. It's not yeah. tasteful. You would say it's too aggressive. It's not pretty enough, right? Same thing. Like, like it's violin. too edgy. I mean, it's still it's too aggressive. And part of that comes from recording technology at the time. Yeah, and who knows how much yeah. the recording technology affects that? Obviously, yeah. Because also, you listen to uh, you know the Duke Ellington Big Band or the Count Basie Big Band, and you know if you listen closely, objectively, they're just not in tune. Sure, it's like mm-hmm. yo you. That just ain't in tune, but it sounds fantastic. That it sounds happens great. a lot. Yeah, it sounds great. Well, uh, what, what's but in if tune? you listen to everything, like they're just they're all over the place. They're maybe they're and they're the vibrato is sometimes so wide as whoa, 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 all over the place, and you're like, wow. If you listen really closely, it sounds terrible. Same thing, yeah. Um, in the trumpet world, and the vibrato then you zoom is out so and listen now. to the whole thing, and you're like, wow, that's that really sounds great. Um, but well, it's artistic. But most people right? are not going to play it that way nowadays, and it's still it's going to be cleaner. Um, and maybe better in certain senses, but it's not going to recapture the, the Certainly magic. It, it inspires of the me art. in certain ways in the sense of like, when you hear, I, I think it's fair to say musicians today, generally speaking, are more skilled and exact with how they play. Oh, and sure. a lot of that has to do with um, the conservatory sort of training, the pedagogical approach that that exists today in conservatory training a lot of that has to do with the technology of the instruments so bows are being made better violins are being made better trumpet mouthpieces are being made better saxophones are so much more in tune now yeah but like the sound isn't the same you know well so but it's wild do you know that um Camus quote it says like if the world were clear art wouldn't exist yep so there's an element that when i listen to that older trumpet playing um I I sort of, like you were just saying about the Duke Ellington stuff, like you sort of want that, right? Mm. So in a sense, like in the cocktail world, you would almost want to taste 
what they that, were tasting that back rough then. approximation of like whatever it because it was true right it, it had like an artistic truth to it which is like oh we're not measuring in these like perfectly factory designed jiggers that have one yeah. quarter of an ounce exactly but it, it was the feel of it that went into it and it, it it has a different artistic impact than if it's just perfectly measured yeah. and all the technical details well the other thing, thing is back then and it was a novelty to be able to have something like that you know isn't uh, it just a novelty again, to have booze people, that tastes amazing yeah but, yeah because <laughs> you a lot get of to get drunk so, and it tastes so amazing. high a lot of the stuff people were drinking was not so high quality at the time um but i would argue there was also a big novelty to having even an ingredient like pineapples right sure like a pineapple i don't forget what the number was but but Seven. <laughs> so, like, the pineapple is like the universal symbol of hospitality, right? And the reason why it, it's really common. I had no idea that. Really common in door knockers. Like, a lot of, there's a lot of pineapple shaped door knockers. I've never seen one oh, pineapple dude, shaped door knocker. All over the place. I've paid for them, dude. Everywhere. Um, everywhere? No. Hotel no. lobbies. You go into hotel lobbies, there's pineapples everywhere. I've been in a lot of hotel dude. lobbies. I've never seen a pineapple, bro. Anyway, pineapple is a common <laughs> symbol of the hospitality industry because. Back in the day, um, the pineapple was a very valuable fruit. It was very hard to find one, especially in the United States or Europe, right? Um, and if you had, like, if you had a guest of honor coming over and you happen to have a pineapple, you would save the pineapple for them. You'd be like, "All right, mm -hmm. you know this. You get the VIP treatment if you get to have some pineapple because yeah, this pineapple yeah. costs, you know, the equivalent of today's, you know, like." $10,000 or something like that. I don't remember the exact detail, but it was some absurd amount. A rare commodity. Some absurd amount of money uh, would be the equivalent of having a pineapple in your kitchen. Uh, nowadays, you can get it from $2.99 at the grocery store, right? Um, what were we talking about? Um, you, you were talking about, <laughs> talking about pineapples. I was talking about pineapple. Where do we get to pineapples? Why, why did it start? Pineapples, universal symbol of hospitality. Yanka, you want to help us out? <laughs> So this is a perfect time to talk about the cocktails we're drinking, which might explain why we forgot what we were talking about. Yeah, so, I'm two Negronis and a margarita. Yeah, so right let's now. let's just talk about those because um, this is actually probably the first time I've had a Negroni, although I'm not totally sure about that. So start there. Like, what did we drink before we started recording the cool. Negroni? Um, so the Negroni really smooth transition, huh? Yeah, not smooth <laughs> at all. We'll we'll figure a way to edit that. Maybe. Nope, I don't not going to do that. Not going to do that because <laughs> I really want to know what I was talking about with the pineapple. Well, I'll find out when I'm editing it. Yeah, I won't be able and to change maybe the we'll, past. Maybe we'll put an addendum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah, so cocktails, folks. So a Negroni is a simple cocktail, usually equal parts uh, gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. Uh, gin, obviously, we already talked about. Campari uh, is a bitter aperitivo. Uh, it's aperitivo is something you drink before dinner. It's low in alcohol. It's a little bit bitter. Uh, it's supposed to stimulate your digestion. As we talked about, it was get your uh, juices going before you yeah, have your entree. It was a medicinal thing uh, during prohibition. Uh, you know, it's a northern Italian ingredient. Bright, bright red in color. Super bitter. It's got a little bit of sweetness to it. it comes from orange peel, various herbs, and stuff like that. Uh, and then, as well as sweet vermouth. Sweet ver uh, vermouth being a fortified wine product. Uh, it's got a little bit of bitterness, but it's primarily just like this rich herbal wine, uh, with a lot of additional sweetness, uh, and added alcohol, right? Um, so equal parts of those three ingredients, gin, sweet vermouth, Campari would be a Negroni drink invented by this guy, allegedly, 
named Camilo Negroni, who was a count, but he wasn't really a count. His grandfather was maybe a count. There's a lot of disputed uh, his history on this front. But essentially, the guy was... I have was, no opinion on it. Yeah. So the guy was like, a, he was a he was an archery instructor and uh, and a professional gambler. Oh, Count, a, um, count Negroni? Yeah. Yeah. No, I know him. Yeah, no, he died like a long time. Ago. Wasn't he an archery instructor? Yeah, he was. Yeah, right. that's what I thought. Uh, so he, was, he was from Italy, and and of course he was. He traveled in the United States a lot on this whole archery situation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one, right? So he's teaching people how to he shoot bows a lot and arrows. On this whole archery played a lot of poker. Uh, and <laughs> as he's tra- traveling in the United the States, the setting was perfect um, to invent a cocktail. It, well, it was, um, but like he he's experiencing all these American style cocktails, which at the time were very booze forward. Uh, it was a lot of alcohol. Um, you're having martinis, Manhattans, that kind of thing. Were were kind of the, the Americans most... love the martinis, right? Yeah, at the time, at the time they were very popular. Yeah. So so the American style of cocktail was something that was on the stronger side that had a little bit of hard alcohol in it at the time. In Italy, however, they were drinking really light beverages. So if you were drinking Campari, you would just have a Campari and club soda, right? You have something that's really light and low in alcohol, and you'd have maybe 12 of those, right, mm-hmm. throughout the day. You'd start drinking them in the morning, uh, and you'd, you'd drink them on your porch all afternoon. To keep a low and slow buzz going the whole Whereas time. Whereas in the United States, on the other hand, if you were having 12 martinis, you were having a pretty wild night. Um, so so essentially, he, he kind of learned to drink in the United States a little bit, and then, and then went Legend has it went back to Italy, um, ordered an Americano cocktail, which was uh, Campari and sweet vermouth. Uh, again, both really lower lower in alcohol with with club soda uh, was the cocktail. Uh, he said, "You know, I can't do that. Give me something stronger than this. Um, get rid of the club soda. Give me gin instead." Mm-hmm. So just to totally throw the recipe out the window and give you something a lot stronger. Yeah. Uh, so instead of club soda. Uh, Gin, which is a much stronger cocktail. So what we're drinking uh, was not even a real Negroni. It was a rum Negroni made with uh, Plantation OFTD, which is an overproof Jamaican rum. Um, and I infused that with a little bit of coconut oil. By uh, the way, talk about infusion. But w- a couple of things. One, it's really cool when you get into any rabbit hole of a craft that yeah. you could... When you're talking to, and I've heard you talk to your friend Thomas about cocktail recipes mm-hmm. and i'm sitting next to you guys and it would be like when i'm talking to you or another musician friend next to a non-musician and You're we're mugg- like next to a muggle well what we call the music muggles yeah yeah and you start going like did you hear that augmented six chord or did you hear this or that and we talk music theory and someone's like i don't know what the hell you're saying yeah now um even when you start talking um about the the, the brand name of of, of a oh, certain yeah. liquor. Now, if we were to go, if if Thomas and I are in a conversation, no one, no one has. Any so what I mean is, like each world craft, of craft yeah. sort of develop its develops its own jargon. nomenclature and jargon and, and all of that. Um, so just for anyone listening, you're not supposed to know what plantation pineapple is necessarily. Plantation OFTD. OFTD. Old fashioned. See, traditional I fucked dark. it up already. Plantation pineapple is an amazing rum too. I, I knew that was in my brain for some reason because um, we used to have daiquiris with that. But I do want you to talk about what infusing. Yeah, so um, using something you can do really simply at home. Uh, there's a ton of recipes online. You know, obviously be aware of your the input information you're getting. Um, certain certain websites are not as <laughs> not as reputable. If you're on as a website others. that like has a story before the recipe. 
I generally just leave those websites. If you have yeah. to scroll down three quarters of the way to get to the actual recipe, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I see what I did. I scrolled past like, um, you know, a bunch of ads that pay for this website yeah, to exist. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, but also like some of the more well-known liquor productions, uh, w- liquor publications that do actually, that? yeah, they do. Okay, but but the thing then is, don't take my the advice. The thing is, there will be two pages. There's like, uh, you know, you, there's the story about it. And then you click you click through to the recipe on another page, and it's just a dedicated recipe page. But anyway, um, like certain infusions are really really simple. Other ones a little more complicated. Uh, this particular one I did uh, was this overproof rum, mixed it with some coconut oil. Uh, obviously, as most of you know, coconut oil is a fat, right? I don't want to be drinking an actual fat in my cocktail. Um, so I combined the coconut oil with the rum, heated up a little bit just to turn it to liquid. Um, and let it sit for about 12 hours. On a day like today, you barely have to heat it up. Barely have to heat it, it up. liquid. Yeah, because it was about 85 <laughs> degrees. Coconut oil will be pretty much liquid in the summer mm-hmm. anyways. Yeah. So um, at that point, uh, if you pop that, that mixture in the freezer, what will happen is the fat will separate from the liquor uh, because liquor doesn't like to freeze in a freezer. Uh, especially anything that's 40% or higher is really not going to freeze unless you get to some insanely low temperature. Um, so that fat will separate out. It will precipitate sometimes to the top, but sometimes to the bottom. Either way though, it's the same. If you put, if you put, um, if you melted butter and mix it in with water and then put it in your refrigerator, you would get a layer of butter, most likely on the top with a bunch of water on the bottom. Same thing if you're making chicken stock or or really anything anything like that. Uh, but this, this method aims to completely remove the, the fat from the beverage while getting some of the flavor from the fat in the liquor. So, uh, and I, you did taste that coconut. In the, oh, big, yeah. big time. Huge. Uh, huge coconut huge. flavor. Some uh, people, some people are talking, people are with saying fat it's washing, some of the best I generally used re- coconut. <laughs> <laughs> people are saying it. I don't know. Dude, I heard you got that coconut from China. Uh, China. No. China. The, the coconut uh, oil was actually from Whole Foods. <laughs> Whole Foods oh, China. China. Oh Jesus! <laughs> you know Jeff Bezos has nothing to do with this podcast, but um, no, he's a sponsor. This, if, this is this podcast is uh, coconut oil in a cocktail has to be extra mom. virgin <laughs> raw coconut oil. It cannot be any of the processed stuff. Uh, the flavor just is not the same. Uh, but anyway, uh, when you pop that in the freezer, the fat separates out, forms a layer on top or on the bottom. To, you know, gravity, specific gravity of different things. Different. If you're on the space station, it, it. It, it might get even weirder. But uh, you pour, then, you, then you pour that liquid through a coffee filter, or if you're lazy, just like a metal fine mesh strainer will work okay. Like a French press even, if you're really lazy. Yeah, but you're going to... You're no. going to get a lot of fat in that, yeah. No, you don't want, <laughs> you don't want coconut oil on your French press, because then you're going to make coffee with it. Um, but, you know, coffee... That's like bulletproof coffee. People love putting uh, coconut stop, oil stop, in their stop, coffee. Stop it. I can't. <laughs> I can I can feel it. Like, what are what mouth. are the some of the, uh, some of the other infusions one might? Do uh, yeah. With, so um, um, so fat washing. I'm gonna start with start there uh, and then then branch out. So fat washing is really common. Started with this bar PDT in Manhattan. Uh, please don't tell PDT, uh, which is um, on the, in the East Village over there, and they're they're one of the kind of pioneering cocktail bars as you saw in in, in the, the documentary. Documentary. We'll link this today. documentary. You can uh, rent it for like two bucks on YouTube. Or so they iTunes or one right. of their groundbreaking drinks was something called the Benton's Old Fashioned, which uh, uses the super smoky bacon, uh, and they take the bacon fat and infuse it in their um, in their bourbon, and it's absolutely delicious. It's really fucking delicious. Uh, Luke, you've tried it. Remind I've, me I've where for you. <laughs> I At your house it, or here? Uh, years ago, somewhere. Years ago, uh, one of the other houses. 
either one of the other houses. either the borough uh, Gryffindor shout house. Out, <laughs> shout out to Luke Skywalker, <laughs> or um, or you know somewhere. It, yeah, the other okay. the other joint. Uh, but either way, you've definitely had it before. Because okay. um, I, I oh you no, know, it was the cottage where we had it. We drank a whole bottle of it, and yeah, it was a it was a weird night. Maybe it'll come back. Yeah, it'll come back to you later. But it's delicious. Absolutely delicious. Um, so they kind of started this this trend of doing this fat washing. And um, most common uh, fats to infuse are bacon fat, coconut oil, or uh, in certain cases, brown butter is really delicious, or milk. Uh, and basically all of them work the same way. I recommend about a, f- I want to say four to one ratio of liquor to fat. And then again, you're going to freeze it and strain it out through a coffee filter. Speaking of um, ratios, is there any uh, resource that, you could recommend and I'll link in the episode description for like a, a good place, central place someone could go for recipes. Uh, there's not necessarily a one central place, but there's certain blogs to check out to, to really like, maybe get we your, could just post the, get the, your the handle like a basic recipe it. for the main cocktails. Yeah, no, I'll post the recipe for, for the ones we did today for sure. Okay. Um, but um, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Jeff Morgenthaler. Uh, he's a bar, um, bar manager from portland oregon really one of the one of the most like professional guys in this industry has had this blog for years and years and years and and when i first started in this industry i you know looked to his blog every time i was looking for like all right where do i start like i don't know where to start with this concept i wonder if he has an article on it and he has he has an article on it probably you know what that's um, like in the and he music has two world? Books, one's when you called, want to hear a yeah. recording of something, right? Oh, yeah. You're like, sure. I don't know where to start with to start. playing this piece. I need to hear somebody I respect playing it, you know? <laughs> so he has two books. One's called The Bar Book, uh, and the other one's called Drinking the Distilled. Bar. Oh. Uh, the Bar Book is more about technique and, you know, getting your cocktail shit together. Uh, the other one, Drinking Distilled, is just like more of like a, you know, a companion to drinking. It's got a lot more anecdotes and stuff. It still has a lot of recipes and, technique stuff but it, the bar book is more hands-on more of the art side of yeah, it both both delicious uh fantastic books but yeah i would start with his blog um there's also a ton of resources just on instagram even uh punch.com and liquor.com uh probably are gonna have the most uh just general recipes that you mm-hmm. that you can follow but really the the way to get started is books you know um the, the death and company cocktail book uh modern classic cocktails uh, is a great way place to start as well as you know for some for some of you want a little more colorful stories and stuff that the book itself is a little dated as far as the recipes but dale degroff's um um what is it what is it called you're asking the wrong cat uh dale degroff craft of the cocktail it's fantastic mm-hmm. as well as any of the books by gary regan again rest in peace gary passed away i don't know a little less than a year ago i think uh but he was one of the one of the main guys as well to do a lot of drinks and cocktail writing and bring bring the craft back so i want to kind of zoom back out to the forest level i one of the things i love about craft world can we take a cocktail break well i think we're just gonna come back and the end this part of the podcast okay if we do two parts we'll do two parts but um i i kind of want to take it back to the forest level like i love the fact that like with any craft coffee cocktails music whatever the thing is that you're into Mm -hmm. you can zoom in all the way to the detail of like not just the trees but like the leaves on the trees and the cellular structure on the leaves on the tree. But then, of course, you can always zoom back out and see the forest that the trees make up, right? Yep, hear the birds. Well, and and just kind of see the landscape. So I kind of want to go around and we'll end with you 
and I'll start with you, Yanka. What's your favorite part of cocktails? Like what, what, you know, we, we've, we went to London and Kevin gave us a few cocktail bars to go to and we went to them. Where did you often. actually go in London? What, 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 what's the one with the door that doesn't have a it's handle in, China in Chinatown? Chinatown? Oh God. Experimental cocktail. Yes. Experimental cocktail. Yeah. We went that there like four times. I went there so many times too because I, because the other place First time clo- we couldn't find it. The other place is <laughs> closed so early and my, my, um, my hotel, like the bus got off right, right next to that place. The woman who so served us so there easy. was basically like the Game of Thrones character. She was like, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. Like, oh, <laughs> I had this really. Sure. Yeah, yeah, she was very attractive. And I had like this had very attractive accent. Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian woman <laughs> who was just like no nonsense, like absolutely no nonsense. And the moment they were closed and doing last call, which was like, you know, midnight. Uh-huh. These bars are so much earlier than, than we are in, here in New York. Um or here in, you know, Nebraska, South Dakota, wherever we are. Wherever we are. But, uh, but you know, <laughs> we're, our bars are open until four in the morning, yeah. you know. So I'm, I'm in London thinking like, oh, it's all going to be open late. I'm on, it's on a Sunday night and they're, they're closing everything at 10 p.m. I'm like, but I just got here. And she's like, no, we're closed. Like, yeah, it's last thing. Like, like, everybody's got to go to church, man. Like, it's, it's the whole thing. Like, yeah. the Church of England is literally the church of the government. They're like, nope, Sundays, you're, we don't want you to drink as much as other days. So yeah. Yeah. it's got to close. Um, it was pretty wild. So but a great what's your favorite part about cocktails, Yanka? I mean, for sure, it's that how much thought goes into it. It's just so, I don't know, niche. I, I really appreciate the work that goes into it or the thought. Like, it's just very... Yeah, I didn't appreciate it until yeah. I knew about I, the thought. I didn't yeah. know about it either, obviously. Like, you... Kevin like taught us a lot about it. So yeah, after that. Actually, you got sure. me into coffee back in the day. First, yeah. You got me into cocktails now. <laughs> I think there's a pattern here. Um, next thing, we, it's, we don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> well, I'm scared to fall into more rabbit holes, but I, me too. That's why I I'm won't inspired by them. Yeah, you don't want to get into like anything that, that you're going to regret. I would say my favorite part of cocktails, for better or worse, is the fact that the buzz you get is so different and and... So the memory I have is, I don't know if you remember this, Kevin, I was playing a Baroque opera oh, yeah. on the Solid Lower guy. East Side. It was at like some museum. It was the Fairy Queen, Purcell's Fairy Queen. And um, it was hot. It was really hot. It was About hot. The same temperature it was supposed and to be an out. It day. was supposed to be an outdoor concert. Thunderstorms came. It transitioned to inside. Um, it was sold out, but some, of the, peop- some of the people didn't make it to the, the second half, which ended up being inside. You were coming from a bar, and we were in touch. We were going to meet up, but then I was like, "Hey, man! Like, if you just come at intermission, I'll definitely get you into this concert." So you were smoking a cigarette outside. Intermission happened. You just walked in with me, and we saw the concert. And then after the concert, we went to Blacktail. Yep. And that was one of the first times I had three or four cocktails. Oh, I went in to one sitting in first before that. Now I remember That's I had a thirty-eight dollar yeah, burger. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you were you were you were day. flipping out about a thirty-eight dollar burger that was amazing, yeah. but I just remember sitting there, and it was the first time I had like a legit buzz from a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Well, from three cocktails, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the free little uh, yeah. Bush, so little at, at Blacktail, when you go in there, as soon as you sit down, when you went they, in there, huh? 
when you went in there. Yeah, when I went in there, yeah. excuse me, um, they, they we'll bring you a little daiquiri, right? A frozen daiquiri. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah and you're just like, oh, I'm special. <laughs> yeah. You feel so good. And it's good. It's delicious. You're like, this is the free thing they give you. Yeah. And then I remember three drinks in, I was just like, life is all right. I just picked up my $500 check from the gig. I'm here drinking cocktails. And then I remember you forgot your passport in my bag that night. Oh, yeah. That was the day I went to get my passport renewed. That was wild. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, so my question to you, hopefully uh, you, your answer can be deeper than the cocktail buzz, as fun yeah. as that is. What's like the most um, inspiring thing you find about the cocktail world or the cocktail culture? Um, what I love about it uh, is is really the the industry part you know, more than anything is like just kind of the brotherhood and the friendship you get from working with people in those, you know, metaphorical trenches or whatever. Um, because they do talk about it. Like you that. have yeah. such a, a specialized, crazy amount of knowledge on one thing that nobody on the other side has any clue what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, and you spend so many hours with the same people. You learn exactly the way they move um exactly the way they talk all their you idiosyncrasies can, you, yeah you yeah, can yeah. literally um anticipate their next move their next word uh they could just make a, a gesture and say maybe say two words they'd be like hey can i get the thing and you know what that thing is yeah you say like, can i get that guy and they you know so they, you like just know chamber music um, basically because yeah would you say it's like chamber music like yeah. when you're working yeah, with the same similar. people yeah Chamber music for non-musicians um, is like when you're playing in a duet with two people or a trio or a quartet where you just get really used to the subtlest of things that people do and you're all reacting in a way that it's subconscious. You're not even like thinking about it yet. All, all the details are there, but you don't have to be embedded in them. It's just, it happens. Yeah, so I would, I would argue that my favorite thing uh, about the cocktail world is actually, you know, after the shift, going out for beer, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and just uh, continuing a, a little bit of that that bond that you have with those people, right? Uh, in addition to that high that you get off of the rush, you know? Right. When, when the restaurant or the bar is at its peak for the night and everything is going would you say bananas, that's a, Would you say crazy. that's a flow state that you get into when, oh, for sure. when it's in, yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's a thing where there's too much going on for you to consciously even know everything. So you just trust at a, at a certain point once you get to a certain level of mastery you just trust your body and trust your brain that you're gonna make it you know i think flow states are flow states <laughs> uh, in general amazing. like they they share a very common thing but i would i would have to say you can only know the restaurant flow state if you've worked in a restaurant it's a very oh, specific yeah. type of thing when you have like five six tickets saturday each, night like, dinner yeah. rush yeah you're, it's it's october just it's the first week where it's starting to get chilly and what does everyone want after dinner? They want a fucking cappuccino. Yeah. And some of them want double espressos and some of them are decaf. And you get a ticket for a six top, yeah. six, a table of six yeah. people. And somebody wants a double decaf espresso. First off, somebody, I'm like, <laughs> somebody, first want, off. Double somebody wants a chamomile tea. <laughs> you got a real badass who's drinking Calvados or like cognac or something, you know, as his after dinner drink. He's like, I don't want the caffeine. Give me real booze, right? And I, I'm with that guy. Uh, on a certain level, uh, you know, the double and, decaf espresso guy so ridiculous. can, can, um, I respect decaf drinkers. Um, you know, decaf. somebody who drinks a de decaf for the flavor, but double decaf espresso, I, 
I can't get behind that. I just yeah. can't get behind that. Um, but yeah, you know, double decaf espresso, and then, and then you got three cappuccinos. But the left group head on the machine's broken because somebody lost the 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 basket. Uh, you know, you know, you you get this point every time uh, where there's just there's too much. There's that one little straw that yeah. just breaks everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all that takes is, is my one favorite. weird thing that ruins like your ability to yeah. handle the order. And sometimes yeah. it's not even when you're that busy. Sometimes you might only have two people at the bar, but somebody wants a sauce on the side and you go to the kitchen and you can't <laughs> find the guy you need to talk to. Um, or like, and then you come back out. I, and I had a situation like once where a line cook, you know, I left the bar to go talk to one of, one of the line cooks in my kitchen regarding a, a dessert. And I was like, Hey man, uh, I, I would like to do this dessert, uh, as a gluten-free option. I just want to double check with you to make sure there's no gluten, flour, graham crackers, anything like that in the actual ice cream. You know, it was an ice cream based dessert. So we were doing it without the cookie crumble or whatever. Right. Uh, and I was like, are we cool? And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you can just have it the way it is. It's gluten-free even with the crumble. I'm like, that doesn't seem right, man. Like it's cookie crumble. Like there's definitely some flour What's in there. That's the not right. Part, He's like, that- no, no, it's gluten-free. Um, so I'm like, I don't trust you, but I don't know where the chef is. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ring it in without the cookie crumble anyway, you know. <laughs> and then like, it became this whole thing that just set me back for like, you know, yeah. 20 minutes. Or for example, you you look at the ice machine and you're out of ice, and there's just 10 people there and waiting for drinks. Slammed, and you're like, yeah. wait, where did the ice go? Oh, they they had a big you order for oysters. Speed up ice. There's, you can't. You can't go any faster. Yeah. You know, uh, I at this bar, there are certain hard limits in a restaurant. Ice in the neighborhood where we are right now, where um, what, there was a, it was a square bar, you know, um, about 10, you know, 40 chairs total. And I got stuck there in the middle of December and it happened to be a 65 degree day in December. And I was literally just at the bar chilling, nothing, nothing was happening all day. I was like, all right, it's going to be one of those December, December Saturdays. No customers. You know, I just cleaned the bar. No money. I prepped it out to get ready for the night. I cut a bunch of fruit, you know, it was ready to go. And then all of a sudden, boom, every, every single chair was filled and the whole place was at least three deep. And I was just running in circles, getting everybody at just go as fast as possible. You know, that's the reality. Some people can't handle a job like that. And what I find most well, none impressive of us really about, can, but you well, have to. But, but you do. You make it seem but like you. Some can. people handle it better than the others. <laughs> you make yeah. it seem like you can. I, I can. You know, I, I, I don't. Not to brag, but I'm pretty fast. But I, part of the way I get through it, um, and part of the way that I enjoy getting through it is I, I let off steam in a way that I find fun and enjoyable. You know, I joke around with my coworkers in an aggressive, dark manner sometimes, and we just we just fuck with each other all day. Yeah, you know that's part of um, and it's in a restaurant it's vibe. like this whole thing, and I have to have people to bounce off of and and joke with and and fuck around. Otherwise, like that that stress it kind of keeps the gears going, right? You know, um, and there's a there's also like an internal dialogue constantly going on, and you're talking to your bar back, and you're talking to your other staff members, you know, um, and so there's a, so on the surface, you know. It, like if you hear the actual words that come out of my mouth, I might be like, you know, fuck this shit, fuck the, you know, just as a as part of like a mantra, just to keep me going and yeah. keep you grounded to reality and keep you like, all right, thinking, all right, I have three margaritas, one salt, two no salt, 
one of those no salts like testing the one of those no of salts your... is going to be up but the other two are on the rocks and then i have two gray goose martinis one shaken one stirred both no vermouth one dirty it's like you you that's like the limit to which most human brains can really process and then you get four more tickets and you're just like yeah. all right here we go let's just see what and then someone's like hey i'm gluten free but i want meatballs and you're like yeah, sorry, bud. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I love you. I appreciate that that's what you want. Uh, but what you're going to get in that case is just a plate of loose ground beef because you can't hold the meatball together. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what I want. Flour. I want meatballs and I want them without gluten. Um, yeah. So yeah, not if nothing else. I but think- I appreciate the rush and I appreciate the camaraderie and I appreciate uh, that. That, that's pr- my favorite. There's definitely a camaraderie. The and taste. I've never been a bartender, oh, but I've right. worked in enough restaurants to, to, to and, and, and observed enough restaurants to see that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And that's for sure, like, it's palpable when you're oh, at yeah. a good restaurant. You can see that people are working just as an ensemble. And, and Even at a bad restaurant. Might. I've worked at bad restaurants where, where I've had some of the closest friendships I've ever made. Oh, yeah, but I mean, there's something extra special when you're at a place where everyone has the Kodawari vibe of, like, we're aiming at that artistic, like, we want that, we... We don't want to. We don't want minimum competency. We don't want the food to be good enough. We we don't want to cut corners. We want to mm-hmm. make it as good as we can, just because that feels better. You know, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important. Like, there's so many of these topic areas. You just have to know. You might not know anything about bartending, but you should know that there is an entire world, a lifetime of knowledge that you could dive into and learn, just like with anything. Yeah. All right. And- well, yeah. Just to remind you all, when you when your bars open up in your community and you do support them, go yeah. out hmm. um, and well. you do spend money, bear in mind that these people are dealing with a situation that no one has ever dealt with. And yeah. They've been out of work for two months, not for any fault of their own, just because the government said, hey, your business is not allowed to be open. You cannot work. And that you has nothing to do with make the, the, money uh, that you've been the debate of if they should be open yeah, or not. It's just a, a, a factual element of like, like people you, who you made can't. their living off of tips, not salary. Your industry no longer exists as yeah. you know it. And it's a new, And a lot of a bars world. and restaurants were barely surviving before the, the outbreak. So, so these yeah. people are going back to work and they're, also now being mandated to make less money than they were making because they're going to be at half capacity. And I know this is your case, by the way, too. And this was in that documentary, Hey Bartender. Mm -hmm. So many of these craft cocktail bartenders have like masters and PhDs. They're highly educated people that got sucked into the interesting and complex. And it's not, it's not just like, oh, you're a bartender. You're, it's like, yeah, you could work at the local pub and be, not really caring and be a bartender, but yeah. there are these niches where p- highly educated people choose to go into it for the artistic and the challenge of it. It's it's like not an easy job at oh, all. Oh, for sure. And sometimes it has nothing to do with education. Sometimes it's just somebody. Some people are just really smart. And oh yeah, I mean they could they could have chosen whatsoever. never to go to college and still be smart. I, I mean, I, as I've always said, I know I know people who have PhDs that are not as smart as people that never went to college. Yeah. Uh, and and I think the the more and more we get into the into the um th- the time period we're in now, it's it's becoming more and more obvious that your academic credentials don't say nearly what they used to about oh, like, how intelligent you are and how interesting you are and and how 
you know, how much I might want to talk to you, you know, mm -hmm. like it's just, um, I, I, this documentary and my personal experience has shown that the type of people that are attracted to pursuits like craft cocktails are interesting people. They yeah. care about details. They want to learn complex. The things. other interesting thing is, is the, the memory game sure. of it yeah, all. Yeah. You know, there's, um, you know, there's a way to simplify it and then there's a way to make it more complicated. And, um, the, the best bartenders I know, the I don't want to say best, but the bartenders I know who know like a ton of recipes, they have these mind palace kind of things they sure. go into where yeah. you just, and I, I'm kind of the same way where it's like. Well, you have a, you, you have order, quite a good memory. I do. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, but for me, I have one way of remembering it. And I, I'll, when I rattle off a recipe, it's, I'll be like two, one, three quarter, quarter or two, one, three quarter, half. And then I remember the order of the ingredients, you know, yeah. it's the, the number sequence and then the ingredient sequence. But like, um, there's, there's paths. So like, I'll forget what cocktail I'm talking about. And then I'll be like, all right, well, it's a sour, but it's not a whiskey sour. It's based on this. And then I'll go through this like tr mind tree kind of thing to get to sure. what I'm at because you can't just recall the recipes off the top of your head. You, you start with a classic and then you go, you, you have to have a framework to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. so most of, of the bartenders that really have these memories and, and can and know the depth of the recipes and the depth of the, uh, history of all these cocktails are people who are often musicians and often people who are in other similarly math minded, sure. uh, things, uh, They're where detail they have oriented to, people. Yeah where they have to deal with high complex processing uh, at once. Most, you know, every bartender at one of the restaurants I work is a musician. Everyone, sure. you know, is some yeah. kind of musician that, because they all deal with impro sure. improvised music uh, and are used to processing like numbers and stuff that's data that's equivalent to numerical data, yeah. you know, at a very fast speed constantly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that's a big factor. Often what, you, you know, and at your local dive bar, that's just like, how many shots can I fit into a tin? Or, you know, how do you, uh, how much do you charge for seven Bud Lights, three shots of tequila, four shots of whiskey, and one shot of Patron, and you make up a work. number, like sometimes you're, and you have to be exact on that, uh, but then at these dive bars, you also might be giving someone a buyback or a comp drink or um, something like that. So you're in your brain, doing all this fat and there's nothing wrong with being a dive bar bartender. These people are, are fantastic. They're great at what they do. Um, but there's uh, also a, a heavy math element to that as well, <laughs> yeah. which you find uh, pretty fascinating, you know? Word. Well, thanks anyway. for coming on. Cheers. Yanka, thanks for uh, doing this cast. She taught eight hours today, so <laughs> she's she's very tired. That's why <laughs> she's like half I tried to teach my dog there. today and that was about it. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you learned something about cocktails. If you didn't, yep. um, you know, what can well, I we'll try you? again next time. We'll try again <laughs> next time. Uh, bye. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Let's go make a cocktail. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, 
please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.